Welcome back to the second episode of Making A Happen. It's great to have all you loyal listeners with us. I'm Steve. And I'm Nigel. And today we're talking some more about the circular economy and forest mapping and forest systems. And Steve comes up with a brilliant idea. And Nigel shares why he's feeling uneasy about the podcast. So first of all, let's start by hearing a little bit about what was frustrating me as we tried to get the first podcast out to you. I'm very frustrated by trying to publish our podcast. I went on to something my daughter was using and I thought, oh, this is great. And I got it all set up and it was on, I don't know, I had it on Spotify and several other places. And then suddenly it disappeared. And so I couldn't get it to, to work at all. It was just gone. And do you know why that is? I sent him an email and I said, well, hey guys, you know what's happened? And I had this podcast and it seems to have just arbitrarily disappeared. You know, did I break a rule or something? So I decided to set it up on Podbean. So far, I think we've only had two listeners and they're both me. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That's such a pain in the butt, isn't it? I mean, Mm. technology that just goes wrong for no reason. You can't figure it out. Why don't we do a check-in on how we're feeling and and what's going on? Or if that that was your check-in. Was that your check-in? Well, I mean, that's my check-in. I mean, I I guess my check-in is, gosh, this is a little more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's it's a bit more. Uh, it's it, I, I'm feeling frustrated. So I was a bit. I was getting a little negative about it. But then when I decided, oh well, I'm just going to forget about that one and start again. And I've got it out there. I'm feeling more positive again about it. So I so I kind of I had an up and a down there. The other thing is that in looking into the ideas that we talked about, I'm quite excited about that because I can't really find anyone who's actually trying to use the idea of biomimicry and forests in a way to understand how business works. Mm. There's lots of people who use biomimicry and forests to think about how cities are built and operate with buildings as trees and, you know, all Mm. that kind of stuff. And there's people who are doing lots of things where they're trying to solve management problems in organizations where they try to use biomimicry implications about how you know biodiversity allows things so we need to have lots of different ideas and we need to have more self-organizational management and they try to translate into lots of management speak but nobody seems to be trying to figure out how the business kind of bits fit into the flows of what's going on in a city that's what i've been trying to find and i haven't really found that yet so sounds interesting yeah I've done several things. There's something about the podcast that makes me feel slightly uneasy. And um, so I sent sent it to a friend of mine who is an, well, she's a TV editor. So she's used to piecing together stories and taking kind of raw content and turning it into something useful. Mm -hmm. You know, she tells me she's good anyway. So I thought I'd ask her opinion. And uh, she gave me some really interesting feedback I listened to it several times and I was really positive about the podcast, really positive about it. Then I got really nervous about it. Her feedback was more about the the dynamic between the two of us. And that in that podcast, she said it sounded like I was the client and you were the host and whether that's the impression that I wanted to put out. And then I started to think about who am I going to show this, share this with? This is all like being self-conscious really about it. It's It's easy enough to do. And and I... And I think it, I mean, the the thing I got from it, I find what you were talking about much more interesting than I was talking about, if that makes any sense, in that particular podcast. So it's sort of like, I get it, and I'm happy to try and make sure that doesn't happen. 
Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I sort of felt like I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but then I thought, well, you know, we've decided that this podcast is about being open and transparent. Absolutely. And so I thought it was important to say it. You know, that, um... You've got to be careful. The thing I think that's at the root of this, which I think is really interesting, is we haven't got any idea what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it's all about us actually discovering something which most people don't share with anyone. Now, maybe people don't want to know that, or maybe they do, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the thing is about sharing the process that I that I find quite exciting, actually. I mean, exciting as the the sharer. I don't know about being a listener. If I was listening to other people talking about it, maybe it wouldn't be that interesting. But yeah, let's just carry on. Anyway, so let me just finish. So that was part of my thing last week. I've also been exploring through serendipitous contacts. I was in my local health food shop. And I started to ask him about some of the food ideas, the interesting food ideas, to see whether he knew anything about them or if he knew of any other projects or things that were happening. And he said to me that the food assembly idea, the French arranging kind of small little markets, you know, when I asked him about it, the first thing he said is, why hasn't Brighton got any decent farmers markets? You know, there's one in Shoreham, which is up the road, there's a smaller town. You'd think that Brighton would have some fantastic farmers markets, but it doesn't. So that was interesting. He said that somebody had tried the food assembly idea at Fat Boy Slim's Cafe a few years ago, but it hadn't worked. And the food assembly idea was this French idea of having small markets where the producers of the food come, but you've already ordered your food online. So you're turning up to collect it, but the opportunity is to speak to the, the producer and the farmer. So you can find out more about the food and make a kind of human connection with where the food comes from, which I thought was a really exciting idea. But he said that someone had tried it and that it hadn't really worked, and they just turned it into a collection point because the producers didn't want to hang around all day waiting for people to turn up. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of interesting. Meanwhile, there's an organisation called Sussex Peasant, which does something similar, is that they go around to local farmers and they bring their produce into Brighton, and they have several lorries that they've turned into sort of pop-up food stalls, and you can buy locally grown, organic, additive-free, free-range meats, vegetables, and some other stuff that's been made, like pies and stuff. What I didn't realise is that since November, there's been one of their trucks every Friday, pretty much at the top of my road. And I I don't know how I'd never seen it. It is crazy. When he told me, I thought, you're joking. You must have got the place wrong because I've never seen it. And then I went there and yes, they were there. And they've become quite successful. But the health food shop guy was kind of complaining about them. And he was saying, well, you know, it's great, but they're taking business away from shops. Ah, yeah. that's, that's an interesting point, because I had this an idea that hit me. This is just sort of off the, it came up while I was thinking about the way things work. And it was about the fact that um, in a forest, the, the trees are linked with the, what's it called? The mycorrhizal mycorrhizal that's it which is the little tentacles that go everywhere as part of a a fungi and they spread around the water to the trees and then the trees provide them with some sugar which comes from their sunlight conversion through photosynthesis and it's all about collaboration right yeah and and so the competition issue is different because trees are competing but they're also collaborating in order for everybody in the community to operate and i was thinking about lansing and how Lansing High Street is dying because there aren't 
enough footfalls anymore and a lot of the shops are becoming empty. But at one end of the high street, there's a co-op and at the other end, there's an Asda. And I was thinking, you know, what would happen if Asda and co-op got together and gave a few vouchers for each other's shops out to their shoppers so that the customers would have to walk up to the other end of the high street and back, hence creating more footfall that would then involve more shops hopefully opening up in the high street, which would then make more people come to their shops and everybody would benefit. Basically, they're, they're at each end of the high street, right? Yeah. And so you go in as, a, as an Asda customer and they're always giving you vouchers to buy, you know, two off this or one off that from Asda. So they could keep doing that, but they could have a few vouchers they give out to their shoppers, which are go buy something at co-op and you get a discount. And then the co-op could have a couple of vouchers that if you go buy something at Asda and then you'd get a discount. And then what would happen is the customer would say, oh, I got to go and use my voucher up at co-op. And the co-op customer would say, oh, I, I need to go down to Asda and buy something to get use out of my thing. And then two things would happen. Hopefully they would share customers, which might give them a bigger customer base, although that goes totally against their competitive thinking. Yeah. And secondly, people would be walking up and down the high street because they can park near co-op or they can no, park that, near that, that is a genius idea. And I, and I think they could coordinate on it so that they weren't competing on the promotion. Yeah. So this week you get baked beans from co-op cheaper and next week from Asda kind of thing. I think the other thing I wanted to say was that I've been, I did do some research into the thinking like a forest more and how forests work. And I also got really inspired and excited about it. Each time I look at it, I understand it a bit more. You know, I'm loving this, this project in America, which I've mentioned a few times, my own public market and understanding how they work and the ideas that they took and what you were saying about the forest work on collaboration is that actually they, they kept pinned it down to reciprocity. So it's about give and take. So it's kind of because, you know, if you think about it, you know, we're able to, as humans, we're able to consciously collaborate. Whether forests and animals consciously collaborate is another matter. I mean, maybe the trees and the mycorrhizal do. I mean, I I understood the mycorrhizal are offering, sharing more than water. You know, they're like a data data network, you know. (laughs) Well, information and chemicals and all sorts of things. I mean, I need to look, need to look into that a bit more. But, but the, the other thing I picked up was that the trees like are interacting with it. So if a particular mycorrhizal isn't giving it enough of whatever it needs, then it doesn't give so much of its back. But they don't stop giving it so much that it just dies. They just no. back a bit. I read the exact just to give more. I read the exact same thing. We must have looked at the same website on that. But. <laughs> what, what I got interested about was, I mean, I was looking at different categories of things and different layers. I mean, there's lots of different ways of skinning this, but I think, you know, trying to find, trying to look to a forest to find classifications of things as a way of mapping something is very rich. Mm. I thought there was a really brilliant category that I kind of, or categorization, like kind of one, two, three, four, five different categories. Producers, which are the trees and plants, they're producing food and energy. And if you think about it, I was thinking about it, they're the only things on the planet that produce food. You know, they're like at the top of the chain. They're converting sunlight and water into sugar and food and everything else is eating it. I mean, I might have overstated that, but <laughs> so the, <laughs> sec- the second level I'm calling connectors, which are mycorrhizal, this fungal network. There are lots of different types of fungus. It's not, you know, they're not the only game in town, but they're a particular type of fungus that are connecting up trees and plants, I guess. Distributors is my third level, which are like birds, mammals. You know, birds are eating seeds, dropping their droppings, 
So I started reading Braiding Sweet, Sweetgrass, which is an amazing book by a Native American writer. And she talks about, she calls them pecan, which I guess is the American way of saying pecan, pecan trees in America. And the way that they operate is really interesting. That, but these trees that they create thousands and thousands of nuts, they know that, well, most of them get eaten. But the odd one that's left, you know, that can find purchase in the ground because the birds, maybe all the mammals, have hidden them somewhere and they've forgotten where they've put them, which is, you know, jays and squirrels are quite key in that, in that they, they're collecting nuts and things and hiding them somewhere and then, then they can't find them or they forget them. So, you know, the distributors, trees are also distributors, I mean, and any plants and fungus, you know, they're spreading things. My fourth level is consumers in a forest, that's the mammals and birds. And then the, the last level is decomposers, which are insects, fungi, invertebrates. And I was wondering about using those classifications. And I also wondered whether this already, this classification already exists in the circular economy, whether, you know, it's the same or very similar to how circular economy views things, which I didn't look at. So I wanted to ask you about that. I think you could translate that into the circular economy as being, you know, the, the whole idea of the circular economy is you start with raw material, and then you have somebody makes it into something, and then somebody consumes it, and then they either dispose of it, or it becomes a raw material again. So your producers are in the sort of production side of it. Your connectors are, I'm not sure where they fit, but your distributors are there to kind of move the product to the consumer. And then the decomposers are the people who are recycling it back into the raw materials again. Yeah, so you, could, you could make that into a into a circular economy thinking. You I mean, I added the connectors as my I added that I'm, I made that up. I hadn't seen it anywhere just because I'm so taken by the mycorrhizal network that, you know, they're connecting our producers. And, and in a way, what you were talking about, about the supermarkets, it's the connection between them. That's the kind of is, is kind of key to it. And in a way that they would need to be in communication with each other to work out how to manage this, because otherwise you know, they'd fall out with each other or, you know, yeah. they'd argue. I mean, I think that I think the, the thing that that's interesting about the forest concept is there's, you know, you, you, you said you said reciprocity. That's quite interesting because there's kind of competition, like there's competition, but there's collaboration. And those are kind of like at two ends of a, yeah. of a, of a, a scale. And somewhere in the middle is where everybody operates. And so yeah. there are certain things you could apply to the way business works and that business well, particularly if we look at a not-for-profit or a charitable organization, they often switch very much between being competing for funding and then collaborating for a particular outcome Yeah. in a way that businesses that are based on bottom line profit don't so often. But having yeah. said that, they all recognize that there are things that they all need to do in order to make their market operate properly so that they're not go they, they stay within a boundary, whether it's agreed or whether it's just something that's a paradigm of the way that they work, i.e. something that just happens that they implicitly agree on so that they can continue to operate collectively because they all know that growing the market's the most important thing and they're only going to try and steal each other's market share if there's no other option. Yeah, when it shrinks or it's not going to grow anymore. I mean, I think this is all really interesting and rich kind of area for, for looking at something. You know, the more I look into how forest works and thinking like a forest and forest systems, it becomes more and more interesting. And as a way to map that onto a system, I think is really, really interesting. Mm. You know, you were talking about competition. There is competition, but it's comp competition that keeps the whole in check which is about balance, you know, and, and 
I was watching a TED talk where someone was talking about this kind of thinking. And he was saying that, you know, there's a kind of often quoted example about the reintroduction of wolves into um, Yosemite that completely changed the whole ecosystem. You know, it was like the acupuncture point in that system that the wolves controlled the deer population. The deer population were controlled, so they stopped killing all the plants and, and eating the young saplings. Because there were more trees then that could survive in the ground, they were able to hold the soil together better, and the whole course of a river changed, you know, and it was, but the whole thing had to be kept in check, you know, and the, the wolves, there were not too many wolves that were able to survive in that ecosystem. So there's something here well, about a, the design of a city or something. That's a great example of what we were saying in our introduction, which is that you know, you just need to find the one thing to change that makes yeah. the whole environment operate. And that, that was, that was, whether that was an intentional change or whether that was just a, well, we should introduce the wildlife that was there originally back in without understanding what might happen is unclear, but it's definitely a good example of that, of that system approach, which results in identifying the particular point where you need to make a change. I mean, my public market, they talk about life-centered design. I'm not sure if that comes from biomimicry or that's something else. But there's a list of principles around life-centered design. I think it's a question of how you, you know, which ones are the key ones? Reciprocity. I've even started saying it with an American accent because I've heard them talk about it. I'm not sure it's a word that we use in, in, in British English. Reciprocity, do we say that? It lends itself to be American accent. You know, the idea around cycles and growth cycles is that, you know, nature doesn't just continue to grow, to go with continuous growth. There comes a point where it's like, okay, we've, we've reached enough now and then we need to rest. Yeah, that's, a, that's another very interesting kind of situation where because the bigger trees have canopies and they're able to kind of adjust the level, then smaller trees are for a while aren't able to grow and then things happen where you know i don't know there's a windstorm or something and a big tree gets knocked down and then the smaller trees get their opportunity to grow or there's a forest fire and everything regrows completely and so there's this idea that forests are dynamic in the sense that they don't just grow up and that's it they're always yeah. changing and that resting is an important part of it which is kind of interesting idea which isn't in the book but is something that the book has got in it which was hang on is it the hidden life of trees no it's a, it's a it's a totally different topic it's called the economics of arrival and it's the whole idea that it sort of builds on the back of stuff like um the donut economy where they're saying well the way in which our economy works is really good when you're trying to develop a stable state. But at the moment, we've got too carried away with growth. And what we need to do is to recognize that we don't need to grow anymore in order to be comfortable. And so yeah. the challenge is, how do we switch around our economic thinking so that we're focused on maintaining opportunity and comfort rather than continuing to grow for the purpose of growing? Because at one time, growing was really important, but it's no longer important. I have a really interesting example of that. Well, I thought it was interesting. God, it must have been two years ago now. I went to a Chamber of Commerce breakfast where they have speakers and had a speaker from, he was one of the, the owners of the Indian restaurant that's now in Central Brighton opposite the library. Were you there? No. Okay. So she spoke about how they'd started, you know, that she'd met her husband when they were traveling and he was a chef and I can't remember exactly they must have loved Indian food but they wanted to make it 
elevate it a bit. So they opened a restaurant in the lanes in Brighton, a small place. And, you know, I remember going there, actually. It was it was really hard to get in and it was busy all the time. They were sold out all the time. So then they found a bigger premises next to the library under my hotel. And she said they had something like 155 staff. I mean, you know, it's a lot for a restaurant. It's a big place and it's really nice and it's good. But then they were thinking about expanding so they raised some money i think and they opened a new one in guildford and i i was as she was saying this i was thinking why did you do that you know you had a successful restaurant in brighton and it was good enough you know and it was working and it was employing lots of people and it was successful and it was busy they opened another restaurant in guildford it died for some reason it didn't work there and it basically killed their whole business. They'd started as a husband and wife team that were working together. So they're in the kitchen together and they were running the restaurant together. Then they were split. So the husband went to Guildford and she managed the Brighton one. So they never saw each other. So life changed. It became really stressful. You know, I was thinking, why did you do this? What's the compulsion? What's enough? You know, and, I, and, so, and, you know, they ended up going bust. And I think they were saved by an investor. So the Brighton one is still open or... And I thought that was just a kind of classic example of overextending. Well, that, that's classic of, I mean, the whole problem is that, you know, a lot of people get in and business is about growth. You know, yeah. that's that's the bottom line. And if you if you want to be, you measure success by how fast you can grow yeah. rather than how happy you are with what you're doing, which um, interestingly, social enterprises, in my experience, tend to be less focused on growth and more focused on the outcomes, which yeah. tends to restrain growth also i guess another thing is they probably struggle to raise funding so it's not quite so easy to grow because you know funding is a, a key part of how you grow a business once you get started but yeah it's a classic example if we just can go back a bit i haven't really got this idea sorted yet but there was another route to trying to think about mapping in the forest i was thinking about and that was about trying to identify the different cycles that are going on there or or material things so i was thinking like there's light and there's water, or maybe there's energy and there's water, there's food. And I was thinking, I haven't really got this together, but I was thinking that these flows of those things might be another way of categorizing something, or they may be something within your categories that would link them together in some way. I read about, I think it's to do with the biotic processes and abiotic processes and the abiotic process, the abiotic resources. I, you know, I was really hoping we could get to speak to an ecologist, but the guy that I know has just got a new job and has moved into a new flat and has got a new relationship. So he's not available, basically. Okay. <laughs> he's got no time. But okay. abiotic things are soil, water, air and minerals. And those are like the kind of the key resources that you need. And then the biotic system are the trees and the plants and the animals and the fungi and things that are considered to be alive. And the trees and the plants are the ones that are turning the abiotic things into energy and food for everybody else. So, and interestingly, a lot what I said earlier about my investigation of how people are trying to apply biomimicry to cities is they're kind of thinking about it more in the abiotic context than they are in the biotic context, where it's much more about the landscape and the trees and and how the buildings are the trees and the streets are the landscape and and how how you build them in a way that they're all going to work properly together, but less about what's going on in the biotic side as, as far as I can find so far. At least that's what my research is indicating so far, yeah? I think what's interesting is, you know, if you think of... Who are the producers of food and energy? They're the farmers, 
they're the energy producers, you know, Brighton Energy Co-op, the energy suppliers. Well, in a forest, I think it's probably, from what I understand, it's the same type of trees that are connected. I don't know whether different types of trees are connected. Maybe they are. I think maybe they must be because the mycorrhizal is just so everywhere. There's some crazy statistic that like a handful of earth contains like 50 miles of mycorrhizal fungus or something. So it must be connecting everything. Well, it'd be interesting if uh, anybody who's listening knows the answer to that question, they could uh, write in and tell us. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to know. Yeah. How to link up the producers and whether they would link up, because in the forest, the trees are connected with each other. But in, you know, in almost what you're saying, that supermarkets are competing with each other. They're not, as far as we know, they're not working together. There's a big problem, and that's called uh, competition law, which if they all work together, they'd be called a cartel and it would be legal. So it's not, it, it's a bit you know, it's a bit tricky. I mean, when I, when I was working in, in RAP, one of our biggest problems with working on waste and things with the, the big supermarkets was we had to be really careful that we only operated on things that were pre-competitive. Otherwise, there was a risk that they were breaking their competition laws, or they could be setting up a cartel to control pricing or something like that. So well, maybe, that's where the, maybe that's where the connectors come in. You know, the, the fungal network is that Somebody comes along and rather than the, the supermarkets at the end of Lansing High Street working together, it's somebody who's like the middle connector who's collecting vouchers from each and then handing them out in the streets to, to other people. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting idea. And, and I think there's some things there that I could I could immediately comes to mind, like the, you know, the, the Bristol pound, where they tried to set up a, a currency for Bristol that every all the shops would take that were was interlinked in some way so that they took away the competition side, I guess, in the sense that the customer was still able to make a choice about what they did with it rather than being forced to go to a certain location. I mean, yeah. my idea was almost taking advantage of the fact that you were forced to go somewhere in order to generate another outcome, which is footfall for the whole yeah. high street rather than just their shop. You know, when they've got a car park next to it, they're not going to get out and walk anywhere. They just go into the shop and they go home again. They've, they've done the same thing in Lewis. And somebody gave me a Lewis pound. I wonder what, you know, what impact it, it, it makes on, you know, if and who takes it and whether it's made a difference. I mean, what you're saying about trying to encourage people to walk around. I think what's good about your suggestion is it's it's very place specific. So you're looking at Lansing and thinking, well, there's two supermarkets at the end of the high street and everywhere in the middle is completely dead. So a different solution will be needed for other places or for your, for Lansing to compare to Brighton, maybe. Uh, I, well, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's another thing that's interesting is that, well, the processes of a forest are the same everywhere. I expect that the way in which the forest reacts to the situation it's in, you know, whether it's sandy soil or it's clay soil and all that, results in different trees and, and all kinds of different things happening, but the process is still the same. And so the idea that you could, as long the processes gives you the idea for the voucher concept I proposed, but the location is is specific for it. So the idea wouldn't necessarily work in anywhere else because if the supermarkets were right next to each other, then there wouldn't be a lot of point because you'd get no, you you know, the footfall benefit wouldn't be there. You know, it's okay. well, so forest. You think forests are a bit like that, that they, they respond and adapt to the situation that presents itself. I'm sure yeah. that's true. We check that out. If anybody knows, then do tell us. I'm liking your interactive interactivity with our audience. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to add a little bit now and then that would maybe get a bit of a response. So okay. do feel free to do it if you like. <laughs> So what do we do with this? 
I think there's definitely some really interesting ideas. Just to go back a bit, one of the things that I that you said, which I think we shouldn't lose, is the whole idea that your connectors concept is is kind of related to the kind of legal or regulatory framework almost that is in existence. So, you know, if we were trying to make that circular economy picture work, then the interesting thing is that if we said the circular economy fits into your categories, but the the connectors didn't, but the connectors are actually somehow that economy part of the circular part. So the thing that I've always been kind of on about with circular economy is everybody gets a circular bit and all about using the resources and keeping them longer in use, not using so many. But the economy is still the old economy, which wants everybody to grow all the time. And the circular economy is just about how you can grow without necessarily using so much stuff, but you're still going to use some stuff. Whereas Mm -hmm. the connector concept might be the equivalent of an economic structure, which means you're regulated, but don't have to grow to be successful. Sounds interesting. Maybe can you explain it a bit more? I'll try. The circular economy ideas are mainly focused on the concept of reducing the use of resources. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's done by making it be used as long as possible within the economic activity. But yeah. the way that you measure success in the circular economy at the moment is still based on, well, I can make more money and I can create more jobs and I can do more with less stuff. Right. Uh, so it isn't actually recognizing the kind of social aspects or the right. other outcomes. It's right. still very, you know, I mean, in, in my early days, we used to call that sweating assets, right? Yeah. Whereas this concept of how the connectors in your model, if we can put this together properly work, those connectors somehow or other regulate the growth in a way that allows everything to prosper uh, without it becoming the driving force, i.e. you don't have to grow to be successful in a forest. Okay, I'm not quite sure about that bit. You don't have to grow to be successful in a forest. I think well, you, do, you do, don't you? I mean, the whole thing about it is, the whole thing about this is growth, isn't it? In cycles, I mean... The regulation somehow allows, I don't know, maybe just, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't, maybe I've missed this one. I mean, it's interesting because you... You know, I'd always thought that the mycorrhizal were controlling the passing of information, but it doesn't sound like it because what you and I both read is that, you know, some trees are like maybe the the biggest ones that have the most food to give. If they're not getting what they want out of the network, they, they they hold what they give back. So I think this idea of reciprocity and give and take is really interesting. I thought where you were going with it was about the connectors bringing the social aspects you know, that in the Lansing example, that the people, you know, if the connectors are handing out vouchers from different supermarkets to try and encourage people at one to go to the other, they're the ones that are trying to enliven, bring more life into the high streets. They're also encouraging more customers overall to go to both supermarkets, ultimately. The, the supermarkets are still getting a benefit from it. Because ultimately, if the high street has more shops and it's got more reasons to come to it, more people are going to come. And yeah. when more people come, yeah, the yeah. shop gets more. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. Whereas the economic model that operate that, that I understand, makes it quite hard for individuals to, do, to be measured in a way that shows they're doing something for everyone, which is the social side of it. Which I think is what I was saying about competition that keeps the, the system in check, is that if the supermarkets 
had the interest of the whole community at heart, then they wouldn't be just competing with each other. I mean, I love that as a radical idea. And I, and I think it would be very courageous of, say, a store manager to decide to do that. And that's about changing mindset, isn't it? To understand yeah. that if you're helping other people do well, you're going to do well, that, we're, that we all do well, that I, we're I all so. interconnected. And, I, you know, there was a whole complaint that supermarkets, were, especially the ones on the edge of town, are killing the high street. Now it's the internet is killing the high street. Yeah, that's right. I started to, when you started to talk about it, I mean, I started to think about... Other types of connectors like Olio that you mentioned and Too Good To Go, yeah. Too Good To Go is a is a, an app. So uh, if you're listening, you're interested, you can find it easily and load it up. And basically what happens is shops or food suppliers that have are aware that they're going to have excess product at the end of the day can start to sell some of their portions at a lower cost that you come and collect later in the day. So it's like a it's like the, in the first episode, you were talking about a platform where you use the internet to allow all the interconnection to happen, but you actually went and collected it. And this is the same sort of thing. And lots of very big, lots of very good restaurants until COVID hit were using this in Brighton. So you could get some really tasty things for at a significantly reduced price. So I'm just wondering, what can we draw out of this to do? I think there's something here. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but... You know, maybe it's that we keep turning these ideas over in our conversations and in our heads and, and asking for people for people's ideas. But I'm wondering what I was thinking is, could we apply? I mean, if, if you like my five categories, yeah, but we could maybe try and apply that to the list of things that we've already got. I mean, the circular economy, companies and organizations and my very small list of social enterprises, whether we could think about whether they fit into those categories. I mean, even as we're talking, I'm wondering whether, I mean, you know, this is just a kind of on a gut feeling really, but whether connectors is the missing thing. I think there's potential there. I, I really do think we should go away and think about it. I, I, I'm quite excited about the idea of connectors. And if, if anybody's listening thought, has got some thoughts about how they fit together into this, then we'd really be interested in hearing your thoughts about it. But I, I think what we ought to do is go away, as you say, and use use the circular economy model for the time being to put most categories into, and then think about how the connectors are regulating the flows within it, because that feels to me what's going on. And then go back and look at the forests and possibly biomimicry then, because the biomimicry website has got lots of individual examples of how things work in nature. And we might be able to find a couple of examples that are fitting into where we're trying to go. And in the meantime, if, if, you, if anybody from Co-op or ASDA is out there listening and they're local to Lansing, then I think it'd be great if you set up the, the voucher exchange option as a way of creating a bit more activity in our high street. I thought you were going to suggest that you were going to try it as an experiment <laughs> just for, for a day, collect up vouchers. And we, maybe they don't even do vouchers, but you know, know. stand oh, in the high street and pass out some offers from one well, to the other. I'll help. Okay. I mean, Why don't we do it? Why don't we try well, it? Why don't we okay. try it and then report back next time? I love the idea of, you know, beyond talking about these things. I mean, if we have an idea that we just try it as an experiment. Okay. Um, I'd say, yeah, let's do it. I mean, you know, if that's the start, then I'll come with you. Let's make a date. I'm up for that. Great. Good stuff. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to send us feedback, have comments or questions, email us at makingahappen at gmail.com or on Twitter at makingahappen. And don't forget to join us next time at Making A Happen. <laughs>